Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. And for the sake of time, I'm going to go ahead and start. Verse 25 reads, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Skip down to verse 33. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Heavenly Father, I come before you once again in the powerful name of Jesus. Continue for these next few moments. Have your way. This is your service. Speak to each and every one of your disciples' heart, Lord. He who has ears, let him hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Title of tonight's message is Three Conditions of Discipleship. Being that this is a year of discipleship, I've been studying, doing a lot of reading, and God has put this message on my heart heavily. Um, the first thing I want to explain, just or eat a quick reminder, because somewhere along the past 2,000 years, we Christians have tend to forget that Christians are disciples. Disciples are Christians. There is absolutely no difference. And a disciple is a learner. A learner of Jesus who accepts the teaching of his master not only in belief but in lifestyle as well. J. Edgar Hoover was head of the FBI. He interviewed a young communist who stated to him, we communists do not learn in order to show what a high IQ we have. We learn in order to put into practice what we have learned. And that attitude is the essence of true discipleship and we should each have that attitude everything we learn we should put into practice Jesus displayed the perfect life and that's who we're to follow those examples every day every day that he gives us his new life and those are the examples we are to follow so I want to go to back to the scripture um, it was around the time Jesus was he had many crowds thousands following him you know everything was going good he did perform many healings he had already cast out demons you know he fed 5,000 everybody was kicking back you know enjoying life and uh, everything Jesus is doing for them and so they're loving him or they were actually loving what he could do for them they weren't actually loving him because in this time the stage was set they they were looking for someone to just go ahead and release them from the yoke from the Roman Empire and so Jesus became the perfect man to them and at that time, they're looking when everything was going their way, everything was all hunky dory. That's when Jesus began to thin their ranks by stating in the starkest of terms, the conditions of discipleship. The first condition I want to say tonight is an unrivaled love. The Bible tells us that God's love for his children is a jealous love. So in our love and affections for Christ, he allows no rival. Nothing or no one should come in between. We are to love him with a supreme love as he loved his father in heaven. Verse 26 tells us if we do not hate our parents, spouse, children, siblings, and yes, even our own life, we cannot be his disciple. So when Jesus, what he means here, he doesn't mean to hate your family, hate your friends, hate your loved ones. No, because he's not going to tell us, hey, honor your mother and father, and then right after tell us to hate them. No, what he means here is to love less, to love him most, to love him first above all and then others. And the beautiful thing that in Romans Chapter 5, verse 5, he, it tells us that God's love is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that he has given us. So when we love Christ, when we love God supremely, it's his love that flows through us. And you begin to realize that there is no greater love that you can love your children with, that you can love your spouse, because it's the love of God that's in your heart flowing through you, alive in you and flowing through you. And so as followers of Christ... Our love for him should transcend all earthly loves. And that's what Jesus wants. That's what he's explaining to his disciples. And um, oh man. our love for Christ should be supreme over self-love. Love, because love of self is soul, is soul destroying, but love of Christ is soul enriching. If we're not prepared, and Jesus tells us, if we're not prepared to comply with this condition, he says we cannot be his disciple. Condition number two is an unceasing cross-bearing. Verse 27 reads, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And it goes also to say in Matthew chapter 10, verse 38, anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. 
So what Jesus really means when, by carry his cross, we got to look back to those days when he actually spoke this to his disciples. The cross represented not only pain and suffering, ultimately it represented death. And so in a world where everything revolves around self, protect yourself, promote yourself, entertain yourself, comfort yourself, even take care of yourself, Jesus says, slay yourself. He tells you to kill your flesh, kill every fleshly desire that you have. Turn to him, put your trust in him completely with everything we have. Trust him to, uh, to trust him and our own plans and desires and turn our lives over to him and do his will every day. And if the disciple is unwilling to fulfill this condition, Jesus said he cannot be my disciple. Condition number three is an unreserved surrender. Verse 33 reads, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. See, the first condition has to do with the heart's affections. The second is with life's conduct. And the third is with personal possessions. Now, I honestly don't think Jesus meant go sell all your possessions and go ahead, everything you have and give it to the church. I don't think he meant that. But what he does mean is, that our possessions are at his disposal. Everything we have are at his disposal, and we should make them to his disposal. You see, because in Luke chapter 18, there's a story of a rich man who, had, who was very wealthy. And, I mean, this man, the Bible says that he complied with all the, commands, the commandments since he was a little boy. And, so, and he asked, what can he do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, sell your possessions and give to the poor. And the man walked away sad because he was very wealthy and it just wasn't in him to do that. And then one chapter later, we read of Zacchaeus, who, who was a tax collector. And so when Jesus ate dinner at his house, Jesus, he said, he, everyone started saying that he was eating with sinners. But Zacchaeus, just in that moment, eating with Jesus had a change in his heart. And at that instant, he said, I'm going to give back twice to everybody that I have taken from. And even then, I'm going to give four times more because that was a change. And he was able to follow Jesus because that is the condition that Jesus requires from each and every one of us. And I just want to say that Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he didn't do himself. Like I said in the beginning, he set the perfect example of how we are to live he didn't just talk about it he walked it and he walked it up to the hill of calvary and he carried the cross he he loved his father supremely when asked isn't that your mother and brothers outside he said who are my mother and brothers he looked at his disciples and said that is my mother and my brothers because they do the will of my father in heaven he literally carried a cross with agonizing pain and he died on that cross for you and me to secure your salvation as well as my salvation. And so we need to carry the cross too. And third, not only did he leave heaven, when he died, his personal estate consisted of a loincloth after the soldiers gambled away his outer garments. You see, Jesus laid out three conditions that he's not saying, oh, to where we could say, I want to live by that condition, not the other two. I could do that. I think I could do that, but I can't do those. No, he's not even asking for two out of three. He's asking for three out of three. He's asking for 100%, no half-stepping when it comes to this. He walked all the way, carried the cross for you and me, a cross that we could not carry. You see, Jesus told us to go and make disciples. He said, go and make disciples. So me, I refuse to sit and make excuses. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to hit these streets. And we, this is a year of discipleship. As Pastor Esteban said in the beginning of this year, the year of discipleship, make disciples. So we should be out there filling the upper pews, these pews right here, making disciples out here in the streets of Hayward. I did a study. I'm taking urban ministry just real quick. And I looked up the city of Hayward. And Hayward's not a, a, a booming city yet, but it's going to be. And then out of the entire country of the United States of America, on a scale of 1 to 100, 100 being the safest, Hayward's rank 15 in all of America, in all of America. What does that tell us? That we live in one of the most dangerous cities in America. And this is a city we want to raise our children up in. And I do, too. I want to one day, too, you know, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. The thing is, is we need to go and hit these streets. We need to go out and make disciples. And I know, yeah, it's a cost. Brother Matt spoke on it last week. It's a cost, and it's a high cost, but it's a cost that Jesus paid. And so we should pay, pay with our lives, too. Jesus, Billy Graham says, salvation is free, but discipleship 
costs everything we have. It costs to follow Jesus, but it costs more not to. Thank you, guys. Not, now I just want to introduce my wonderful director, a wonderful man of God, just a, a very good teacher. I love this man, Pastor Greg. We're going to look at chapter 15 of the book of John. And we're going to go from verse 1. And we're going to go to verse 17. Amen. I'm going to grab my Bible over here. Verse 1 reads, do you have it? It says, I am the true vine. And my father is a gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. And such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now here's the key verse. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay one's life down for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Father, we need you. And Father, we love you. And Lord, you don't need no invitation, but because you're righteous and you're a gentleman and you're kind, we need to ask you, Lord, move freely here tonight in our hearts and in our minds. We pray, God, that the word don't be just forgotten as we leave this door, but, God, that it shapes and molds us and directs us as it should. We ask in your son Jesus' mighty name. Everybody says, shake your neighbor's hand, have your seat if you can. If we can get verse 8 up there, Reverend Eric. No, no, I'm not joking. I'm not joking. That man has done so much. He's broken open territories that most people are scared to go in. So I'm not saying that as a joke. That's with all respect. Amen? I went up to him tonight and asked him to give me a word and he didn't give me one. He just didn't knock me down. So I took that as a compliment. <laughs> Amen. Verse 8. Do we have it? Then I'm going to have to work this Bible too. Hallelujah. I know where it's at. It's after verse 7. I went to school. Hallelujah. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And that's a powerful verse. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples on his way to the garden of Gethsemane. Right before he gets nailed to the cross, he says, so shall ye be my disciples. When someone's getting ready to die, you usually 
Tell the people that are closer to you, the people that God put in your life to be an example to, what you believe is the most important thing for them to live a life according to the will of God or what you believe is right. And here Jesus Christ is talking to his disciples right before he gets killed. And he says, so shall ye be my disciples. Damien hit on that today people think there's a difference between Christianity and discipleship. Somewhere there became a division. You are called to be a disciple. I'm just a Christian. But my Bible reads that we're to make disciples of all nations. And so that means that we don't exclude ourselves or anyone. And so being a child of God and being saved through simple faith and trusting in Jesus Christ is not a disciple if that's what you choose to be. My question is, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Damon hit on what a disciple really is. It's a learner. It's a student. But it's one that tries to mirror who's discipling him. Today, when we hear student and learner, we have all kinds of conceptions of what that word means that is different than what the Bible meant when it was being written. In those days, they didn't have everything else to take your attention. They counted it an honor to mirror and act like their teacher. They counted it an honor to sit at the feet of somebody and be taught to where they wanted to become more like their teacher. Pastor Stevan taught a few years ago about, and Shane Willard about how the discipler would tie a rope to his disciples and they would follow him around. I can read your mind. I know what you're thinking. Right now you're thinking, I can't read your mind, right? You're thinking, heck no. But they would follow the discipler around. Why? That way they can learn to walk like the teacher. And as soon as the disciple can walk like the teacher, the, the rope was taken off so that he can lead the others now. That's where the word comes from or the, the, the title, walking in one accord. That's a disciple. Disciples is a person of concrete action and concrete commitment. Not wishy-washy. Don't change with the weather or how you feel. I heard a guy today that I've been seeing around for a long time saying, I just ain't feeling it. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Thank God we don't go by that. Disciples make themselves available for training. Today we were at training in San Jose. We sat through two long classes and one long sermon before the meeting. Huh? But it was great. I got tons of notes. I've gotten excited. Huh? I love getting equipped. Man, it's like drugs to a dope fiend. Give me more. Hmm? What kind of doping has no dope? What kind of disciple don't like learning? I'll back up. They make themselves available to training and they devote themselves to a lifetime of learning and growing. In John 15, 8, we see that Jesus said that the Father is glorified when you become a true disciple of Christ. In other words, there's no other way, boys and girls, to glorify the Father until you become a true disciple of God. Until you follow him, until your goal is to look like him, to walk like him, to think like him, to speak like him, to love like him. Are you simply a child of God thinking you're a Christian or are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Did you know it has nothing to do with how long you've been here? 
I, I told you, I, I've known Sister Irene since she was probably three back in 87. But you know, I can't sit here and say that all those years I was a disciple. Actually, you guys want to know the truth? I've been in Victory Outreach before any of you. 1977, I knew Sister Josie and Pastor Steve. But I can't sit here and say that I was a disciple. I'm not going to lie to you. I became a disciple on July of 2001. That's when I put my hands up and told the Lord and my Savior that you are going to shape my life. I want to become more like you. So just because you've been around for a long time, don't make you a disciple. You might just be an old fool. I knew a lot of people that had years on them that didn't have no kind of wisdom. Yet I met some youngsters that were smart as a whip. It matters what you do with what you got. Are you with me? If you don't become a disciple, you will never be able to hear the words, well done. Unless you apply yourself in becoming a disciple. Are you simply a child of God or are you a disciple? Abide. Do I constantly abide in Jesus Christ? In verse 7 and in verse 4, he talks about abiding. In verse 4, it says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And in verse 7, it says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. There's the secret, boys and girls. In other words, it means that we learn how to stay in a relationship. That's what abiding means, that you, you, you stay hooked up. But that you abide in him, that means that you know how to stay in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You know how to keep a right relationship with Jesus Christ. But you need to notice that the word there says if. And if implies, does it have if up there? This is to my Father's glory that you bear it was verse 7, I think. And if implies that you have a choice, and if you choose to be this, and then guess what? You get to have that. Hallelujah. I'm going to read it again. If you remain in me, if, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. To me, that sounds like a good proposal. Hallelujah. There are many people who think that becoming a Christian, all you got to do is put your life on autopilot. I'm not trying to discourage anybody here. Look at Jesus is talking to his disciples after they've been walking with him about three years. So now he's telling them, Matt said there's a time where the rubber has to hit the road. We're okay. Now you got to know the truth about this relationship. Every relationship has to hit the point where you say, hey, we need to define the nature of our relationship. Am I right, women? You still want to keep dating me or are you going to put a ring on my finger? Huh. It comes that time where we got to decide, are we going to commit or quit? So if you're new and you're thinking that church is the answer and God is the answer, I'm going to tell you, yes, it is. Don't get discouraged because what I'm explaining to you right now sounds hard. And that's what Jesus Christ was telling his disciples. It's about to get hard, man. And you better stay close. Marriage and relationships ain't easy. You better know how to stick close when the trials come and the storms come. They're going to come. You're going to get tested. So I'm going to tell you the truth. Don't get discouraged. Keep coming back. Hook up with somebody. Say, what was that crazy white man talking about? 
like this is devil worship. It's scary. They'll, they'll explain it to you. They'll probably just say, don't listen to him. God is loving. God is kind. A lot of people think they could just put it on remote control and then just cruise. I'm going to tell you something, boys and girls. It doesn't come automatic. This ain't Michael Jackson. Systematic, automatic, pow, pow. <laughs> this is supernatural. It comes with a relationship with your spirit and his spirit. That's how growth comes. Growth changes and things like that only come in the supernatural, man. It don't just come because you sat in the pew year after year after year. If you're not becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ and if you're not letting the word of Christ change you and shape you, my friends, you're never going to glorify the Father. And you're not going to find the way to get blessed. Hallelujah. How to be rightly related to Christ. That's why a disciple has to learn to be committed also to the word of God. In verse 7, I'll read it again. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. Huh? You want to rub a bottle and get a, huh? Well, then abide in God, but he's not a bottle. He doesn't do everything you want, but what happens is he starts changing your mind and changing your heart to where now all of a sudden your spirit is one with his and the mind of Christ is taking shape and then everything you want is what he wants according to his plan. So everything starts happening and you're living a satisfied life. Because you know the word of God. And so you commit to his scriptures. It demonstrates itself in the disciple's knowledge of the scriptures. The disciple knows how to study his word. You find that in 2 Timothy 2, 15. I just had a feeling that everything electronically was going to break down. It always does. Hallelujah. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. A lot of believers will just come to church and listen to a sermon and get goosebumps and say, oh my God, that was so good. And then they leave and you say, how was the sermon? Oh, my God, I had goosebumps. And you say, what was it about? And they go, oh. <laughs> you need to go. He's so good. They need to be spoon fed. But a disciple knows how to feed himself. I said a disciple knows how to feed himself. Anybody here ever fight roosters? Don't raise your hands. <laughs> I better be quiet. That's still illegal, right? <laughs> you got to follow the roosters and see what comes out of them. And then you know how to adjust his diet. If it's too watery, you need to make adjustments. If it's too dry, you got to make adjustments. A good disciple knows how to tune himself to the word of God. Is my speech being a little harsh today? I need to add a little water. Holy Spirit, fill me up. I'm being in the flesh. Hallelujah. If I start speaking too highly and my feet ain't on the ground, I need to change my diet. A good disciple knows what he needs to eat and knows what the people around him know to eat. He can prepare his own food. He don't need to be spoon-fed. And not only that, they know how to apply it to their lives. They know how to study and feed themselves from the Bible. And the disciple knows how to fight for 
and defend the Bible. They know how to fight for and defend the Bible. That's called an apologetic, right? He's equipped for battle. He knows how to filter through the philosophies of this world and determine what God's world word says for current issues. There's going to be things that come your way. There's going to be thoughts that come your way that this is what you should do for your situation and that the answer for your situation should be this and that. You're going to hear all kinds of different philosophies. You're going to be aware and alert of all kinds of things that's happening in the world and you're going to think that the answer is this and the answer is this. But when you are a disciple, you know the answer because you know the scriptures of God and you're going to see what's happening and you're going to know that they're according to the word and you're going to know what you're supposed to do as a child of God that mirrors God's image, that mirrors Jesus' image. Why? Because you've allowed yourself to be discipled to be more like like him. The disciple knows how to pray for and how to pray. He's totally committed to pray and getting to know God in a more personal way. A lot of counseling sessions that we have will boil down to this. The person is not right with God. Hello? Okay, I don't want to point nobody out. I know when you look at Debbie and me or you hear Paul Torres' sermons, <laughs> he keeps saying like Debbie and Greg, like Debbie and Greg. And I love my wife today. But boy, did we go through a lot of counseling sessions. <laughs> it wasn't always easy. But because I didn't understand the word of God, I didn't understand what the word of God said as a son of God, how you're to love the daughter of God. I didn't understand the purpose of a partnership in building the kingdom and how her and me are to complement each other according to the, the, the partnership that we developed to help build and the kingdom of God by being part of the body of Christ. Hello? So all those counseling sessions was because I wasn't right here. And so the issues I had came into my marriage. Are you with me? And she had one or two. But once you start having that relationship right with God and he starts loving on you and he starts teaching you and he starts affirming you, guess what then? Then you start loving yourself to where you're now able to love somebody else. Most counseling sessions are because somebody's having an issue with a relationship with God. If somebody asks you, what must I do to be saved? A disciple knows let me backtrack. Ask yourself, do you bear fruit? Verses 5 and 8 of John 15. It tells us about the necessity of bearing fruit. Verses 5 and 8. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 8 says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Showing yourselves to be my disciple. Do you bear spiritual fruit? Now, if I ask what spiritual fruit is, I know all the ladies and us men, we should know these. Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. But what I'm talking about here is what kind of fruit does a Christian bear is he bears other Christians. He bears other Christians. How do you make Christians out of non-Christians? What drew you to the Lord? What drew me to the Lord? I didn't know God, but I met somebody that had the love of God. And that love started touching me all over the place. I said, ooh-wee. I was a dolphin. I liked it. I wanted more. 
So I said, man, how do I get what you got? He said, come over to my house every day at 530. You remember Pastor Adam, Pastor Toby? Huh? We, 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 we didn't get trained by, uh, uh, let's go to the movies once a week. That's not how we got discipled. Pastor Willie, Toby, myself, we, that ain't how we got trained. I said, ooh, we, I need what you got. He said, then be at my house if you're serious. If you're serious that you want what I got, then show up. Suit up, boot up, and bring your notebook. Huh? Kiss your old lady and babies goodbye and come ready to learn. I had just enough pride to call him on it. Do you bear fruit? Jesus expects us disciples to bear fruit. As long as we abide in Christ, the vine, and we, the branches, will of necessity bear fruit. In verses 1 and 2, I'm going to try to hurry up here because um, I want to speak again this year. I am the true vine, and my father is a gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Say, I want to bear juicy fruit. That means that you're not only fruitful, but you allow him to prune you. God, why am I going through this trial? I'm doing everything I'm supposed to. Yes, you're bearing fruit, but I want your fruit to be even more fruitful. I want it to be even more juicy. Has anybody grown a tree or pruned a tree ever? Even though it's bearing fruit, you got to go cut it some. That way it bears even more fruit. And we bear Christians by showing Christ to others through the fruit of the Spirit introducing them to Jesus Christ and sharing their faith. All true disciples share their faith and they know how to communicate the gospel leading others to Jesus Christ. There's no such thing as a sterile disciple. You're supposed to have kids. Just thought I'd explain that. What did he mean sterile? The sex ed. It means that there's no such thing as a disciple that don't reproduce. If you're a disciple, you're called to reproduce. What if someone asks you, what must I do to be saved? Do you have the answer? Do you know how to lead people to Jesus Christ or do you send them to Pastor Toby and his phone number is going to be at the information booth? A disciple knows how to bear spiritual fruit. Do I display an obedient faith in verses 9 and 10 there? He tells us that we have to be obedient. Jesus links obedience to the love for him. You also see that in John chapter 14. Do you love me? Then keep my the average Christian waits until he feels prompted by his emotions before he takes action. But a Christian takes action based on the facts of God's word. Regardless of how you feel. Huh? A soldier doesn't have a choice to boot up, to get up when war is going on. He got to suit up and boot up every day, like it or not. And there's a battle going on. The difference between a disciple and your average Christian is the disciple's commitment to obey God, regardless of circumstances, feelings, or other pressures. I'm not trying to minimize nothing. There's pressures in life. There's problems in life. My Bible tells me that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, that you can say to this mountain. That means that he recognizes your problems are big. Your challenges are real as mountains. But what we're talking about here is spiritual strength. 
And after a while, Jesus will turn and tell you that you need to become a disciple, that you need to bear fruit, that this is the only way to glorify my Father. And if you don't bear fruit, I'm going to cut you off. And because I love you, even though you bear fruit, I'm going to prune you because we don't only want you to bear fruit, but we want you to bear lively, juicy, mature, strong, good fruit. Give God a hand clap. There's going to be all kinds of funny paradoxes that you have to cop to as a Christian. Like you probably never wanted a cop to. You wanted to be a fruit. Or bear one. Or love a man. Huh. Have you ever wondered why some Christians seem to know more about God and how he works than others. They've walked down the path of obedience. I love when I talk to somebody that knows the word, but I love it more when I talk to somebody that knows the word. Huh. They have experience. They've held the hand of their Savior going through trials and tribulations. They've allowed the word to shape them and mold them. They didn't run and hide, but they stayed on the course and they stayed on the path. And now they're able to show the joy of God. I love talking to them almost as much as old ladies with candy. Do I possess supernatural joy? Verse 11. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Anybody here ever feel empty? Lacking. That you don't have the answers. How would you like to feel complete knowing that you have everything you need? Huh? Never to feel empty any longer. Never feeling like you're, you're missing the point or you don't have the answer, but knowing that you got everything that you need. He's telling you right here so that your joy may be complete. That means that you're not walking around thinking that you're missing something or that you need something, but you're walking around knowing that I have everything that I need. I'm overflowing with God's joy. He's telling us this, man, so that your and my joy may be complete. He don't want us to be empty fruit. I've bitten to dry fruit, man. It don't taste good, but a juicy fruit, man, gives me a, a strength when it's a hot day and I've been burning up. I don't really go through much stuff like that no more. But when I did, what was refreshing? A fresh grape with juice, an orange with juice. God wants us to be filled with his juice. Only disciples are candidates for this kind of joy. Joy is distinct from happiness. We hear this all the time. Happiness comes and happiness goes with conditions of life. And anyone who has a good life situation can experience happiness. It don't require anything from God. But joy, on the other hand, is supernatural. Sense of well-being that comes from knowing that you are right with God. A sense of joy that comes from knowing that you are pleasing God. A sense of joy that comes from knowing that you are glorifying God. Hallelujah. People can take your happiness, but nobody can take your joy. Jesus had joy when he went to the cross. What? Paul had joy when he was in prison. Happiness comes from outward circumstances, but joy comes from an inward peace. Although, man, it seems like all hell was breaking loose, you are still able to have joy inside of your heart, man. Even though everything seems like nothing is working, God, Jesus is saying that you can have joy, man, no matter your situation. I don't want you to live by circumstances and happinesses, but I want you to live by me pouring my joy inside of you that no matter what storms may come, and hardships that you will stand there with joy. 
This is a high standard. It was important for the disciples to remember this, how Christ had loved them, his patience and his kindness, how he washed their feet, how he loved them, and how he loved the unlovable like you and me, and how he gave his own life for you and me. One of the marks that distinguishes an average Christian from a disciple is a simple little word called love. Love. As AJ comes to the keyboard, love. I don't know about you, but I think I do. One of the best things I found out was I'm no different than you. I thought I was worse than you. I read a book called Where Flies Don't Land, and I thought that book was me. I thought I was worse than a turd. But then I find out I'm no different. I just want what everybody else wants. And as I get to know people, I find out that's all you want, too. God created you. He created you and me for him. He put voids inside of us. And because we didn't recognize those voids were for him, we try to find fulfillment in all kinds of avenues. I just want my voids filled. I just want peace. I just want love. I just want what you want. Am I wrong? This is what God wants. He created us not to be empty. He created us to be filled. When we get to heaven, we can join hands and we can gangbang Adam and Eve, man. I'll lead that one. They blew it. I don't know whose fault it is, so we'll just whoop them both. We'll get the guilty party. But because of that, he had to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you and I. And while Jesus was here for a short period of time, he pumped everything he had into a bunch of disciples. There's a verse in the Bible that says that when he started teaching about the rubber hitting the road and that there's going to be a price and a cost to serve him, it says that multitudes left. Then he turned to the other 12 and he says, do you want to leave too? I know that his desire is to lose none that the Father gave him. In Victory Outreach, we don't want to lose nobody. But as they left, Jesus let them go. I can't work out your salvation. But we here want to disciple you. We have a lot of people here, man, that God has walked them through storms and trials and hardships. They know God on a deep personal level because of them, challenges that they've gone through. And those challenges help them get rid of themselves more and more. My challenge is this. You might be a disciple today. You might be hearing the tug in your heart asking you to do this and do that, but you're fighting it. It might be philosophies or things of this world like jobs, commitment to relationships, but we, you want to answer the voice inside of your heart. We want to help you. None of us are here without help. Nobody knows how to do anything without help. Jesus discipled. Then they discipled. And guess what? We're still discipling. You might have an emptiness and you've been here for quite a while and you want that emptiness to be filled.
It was just explained right here. It's simple. But yet, you know what? Something so simple is so hard. It's hard. It's hard. The first step is the hardest step you'll ever take. But I'm going to tell you, man, it's that path and that journey that you're going to look back on with a lot of joy. Am, am, I, am I talking the truth? Those that have been around for a little bit. Many believers are content to simply say that I am saved or to think that I'm a child of God. There's a lot of people that tell themselves I'm all right, I'm a child of God. But do you really know him? I'm good. I'm all right. But are you really? Or are you missing out on so much? Becoming a disciple of Christ is an opening up. An opening of your heart. It's a total surrenderance to God and his word. Asking him to come in and have his way. There's no difference. Christian disciple. He says to be saved that I must be your Lord and we just wanted to be saved. But he wants to be your Lord. He wants to light your path. He wants to direct your life. He wants to be the one that tells you what to do. And so we have to open the door and experience all that Christ has for you. I don't know about you. I sat in those pews for years, man, seeing other people get blessed, watching other people get baptized by the Holy Spirit, and I'm still feeling like a turd. I'm feeling like God didn't love me. Everybody else was getting baptized and speaking in weird languages, man, and I'm really wanting it but I didn't know how to bust a move I had to have somebody walk me through it I, was, I didn't get it that easy somebody had to break it down to me in easy steps man they had to walk alongside of me I had grown men pray with me, cry with me, holler and argue with me. But they walked me through the steps. But today, I have nothing but great reverence for them and love for God. I don't know about you. Don't stay sitting in them pews empty. Don't stay sitting in them pews empty. Open yourself up and experience everything that God has for you. Let's stand. Let's stand. Hallelujah.